Welcome to the Florida Divorce Podcast, your source for the information you need to successfully get through your divorce and into the next exciting chapter of life. Now, here's your host, Attorney Scott Kalish. Hey, everybody. This is Attorney Scott Kalish. I am a divorce and family lawyer here in uh, South Florida. Today, I want to talk about an interesting topic, right? Something that, that comes up every couple months, uh, seriously, right? Where, you know, someone is, is concerned about maintaining their pet, usually a dog or a cat, but it could be anything. Um, it could be a bird, it could be a horse, it could be an exotic animal, whatever type of pet that they have, you know, the issue of who gets the pet can come up. And for a lot of people, especially for, for people that don't have children, to them or you, if you're listening, you know, a pet can be as important or, or looked upon like as a member of the family, right? You know, it could be like a child to you, which I totally understand. You know, at, at our house, we're, you know, dog house, we have a, a pet pug. Her name's Pearl. And, um, you know, Pearl's definitely uh, a member of our family, right? We're small dog people. I, uh, Tried to go the big dog uh, route a couple of years ago. My uh, barber at the time, you know, he used to breed um, Connie Corsos, right? The Italian Mastiffs. And, I, you know, my barber just pretty much gave me one for free. Beautiful dog, a puppy. I brought it home and, and the wife, when she realized what a Connie Corso was and what it would be in about a year, she uh, ended that pretty quick. So we had to give the Connie Corso back. But yeah, we love Pearl and I definitely understand, you know, how this situation can arise, right? And how, how it's, you know, it's very serious for a lot of people, right? I actually um, did a case about a couple of years ago over, you know, the only issue that the parties really had a dispute over was a, a French bulldog, beautiful French bulldog that was actually um, imported from overseas, just beautiful dog. And uh, my client was adamant that he would spend any amount of money to maintain this, this dog. And um, we fought for a little bit and then, you know, the wife sort of blinked, right? And and, and she's folded and said you know, she just didn't want to spend the money for, uh, you know, to, to fight over the French bulldog. But so the husband ended up, you know, maintaining the, uh, the dog. But yeah, I mean, this this comes up, like I said before, pretty frequently. I mean, a lot, a lot of people have the question, right? Because obviously a TV, right, that costs $700, that's a pretty easy thing to handle, right? Because, you know, we can just replace the TV. You know, it's very easy, right? You can just assign a dollar figure to it and replace the TV, a dog or a cat or any other pet that someone desperately wants to maintain. It's impossible to duplicate, right? There's only one of those dogs. You know, it's it's incredibly, you know, unique. So it's essentially impossible to make both people happy. So let, let me kind of walk you through how this works and how Florida law treats dogs, right? So under Florida law, right, when you're getting a divorce, a dog is is essentially property. As unpleasant as that, you know, is, it's it's property, right? So the court has to go through really the following in an analysis, right? First, we have to determine is the dog marital or non-marital property, right? So if it was acquired before the marriage, then, you know, there's going to be an argument that that hey, you know, this dog is non-marital. The reason why I kind of you know didn't give a definite answer to that is is because you know I can envision a situation where you can get a dog before the marriage, but then over the course of of the relationship of the marriage, there could be an argument that could arise that that the other spouse says, "Hey, well, you know, yeah, you had that dog before the marriage, but you gifted it to me, right? It, you told me this is my dog now, and I can see that argument arising. But I think if you get the dog before the marriage, 
I think in most cases it's going to, you know, this, you know, I say I think because not many cases go to trial over a dog where a judge has to make the decision. But I think a judge, you know, would find the timing of the acquisition of the dog pretty compelling evidence and an easy way to dispose of the case, unless there's a lot of compelling evidence to show that it was actually a gift. Maybe writings, you know, text messages, emails, you know, reflecting that, hey, no, this dog was in fact a gift. Making then turning the non-marital property, right, the non-marital dog into potentially a marital asset, right? So that's just something that could play out, right? So once the court determines that the dog is marital, the next step is, hey, we have to provide it. We have to figure out what the value of the dog is. Now, like I said earlier, right, a lot of people can't put a value on a dog, right? You can get a puppy for $1,000 and a lot of people would spend, you know, a lot more than $1,000 to try and maintain their dog. You know, every once in a while, you know, on YouTube, you know, they have the algorithms and, and you kind of, you know, see videos of people, right? Like walking in the park and asking strangers, hey, can I give you $500 for that dog? And a lot of people react, right? How you would expect them to react. They're like, no way. I'm not giving going to sell you my dog for $500. Absolutely not. It's worth a lot more. And a lot of people can't put a price on it because they're they're members of the family, right? They're priceless. So, you know, that, that becomes very difficult, right, for us as practitioners and for judges to decide, all right, this was the family dog. Both people are attached to the dog. How do I do this, right? So I want to say from the start here, or not really from the start, you've probably been listening, listening to this for a few minutes, but um, at this point, right, there is no like time-sharing component to dogs, right? So Florida law is clear. A judge cannot order a time-sharing schedule, right? Like as they would for a child, right? When you have children, right, the court has to come up with a schedule for each parent, right? And designate like when the parent is going to spend time with the child or children after the divorce, during the divorce, right? And that's not something that Florida law law allows courts to do. I have a guess, yeah, right, as, as to why that is. And, and that's because I imagine, right, that the thinking is, is that Florida courts, right? Our courts are so bogged down. We're so busy. It's so tough to get hearing time. The last thing that I think the people in charge, right? The legislature, you know, judges want to do is to, you know, allow more litigation and have people who cannot access the court, right? For let's say child issues, because judges are, are doing half day trials on timesharing issues with dogs, right? So like in terms of priorities, like it's not, it's not something that I think our system has the capacity for right now. So that's probably why Florida law has evolved the way it has. I'm pretty sure other states, I think New York, I've heard New York has timesharing right opportunities for dogs to where parties can get can each rotate the dog but here in Florida we can't do that now circling back to all right well well then how do we divide this dog right i mean there was a case recently that i saw that came out of Pasco County right it was appealed out of Pasco County it's called Harby versus Harby it's a second district court of appeal case that came out in 2021 in that case they were fighting over two dogs Liberty and Nico. And in that case, the parties were separated for a period of time and the dogs were actually li were living with the former husband, right? And the wife in that case, she um, tried to make a claim that the dogs were her emotional support animals, right? And the appeals court said that, hey, there was no evidence submitted to show that the wife had any, you know, uh, 
physical or mental disabilities. So the dog could not have been an emotionally supportive, you know, an emotional support animal. So the court rejected that. And the court also brought up something that I thought was interesting that I haven't come across yet. So apparently Florida law or the legislature, right, came up with a new Florida law. I'm just scrolling through this opinion to find it. I read this right before I jumped on to do this podcast, but essentially Florida law has made it, or there is a Florida law now that makes it a crime to fraudulently claim that your dog or pet is an emotional support animal, um, which I think is interesting, you know, given that, you know, for quite some time, it's become a trend to buy a, uh, you know, an emotional support animal vest, like on Amazon, and bring your dog, you know, into the mall, into Whole Foods, Publix, wherever, you know, a restaurant sometimes in order to keep your dog. And definitely not knocking people that actually need it, right? But I feel like in society, people are abusing that, right? And it's really not fair to people that actually have issues, right? So so the court in that case cited to a new law that passed in 2020 that before recording this podcast, I had not known about this brand new law in 2020, making it a crime, a second degree misdemeanor to falsify information or written documentation or knowingly providing fraudulent information or written documentation for an emotional support animal is, is actually a second degree misdemeanor, right? And it's, it's a crime in the state of Florida now. It says that if, if you're convicted of this, right, you can face uh, possible jail time, right, fines, and you know, a person must perform 30 hours of community service for an organization that serves persons with disabilities or for another entity or organization that the court determines is appropriate. So that's really interesting. So the court in the um, Harvey case, right, and the case that dealt with these two dogs, uh, Liberty and Nico, cited to the fact that the former wife in that case claimed that she had an emotional or these dogs were an emotional support animal or no, the one dog, Liberty, was an emotional support animal. But that, you know, she didn't, you know, produce any evidence that she had any sort of, you know, physical or, or mental disability for the um, for the emotional support animal, which I think is really important, right? So, you know, I feel like if she had a physical or mental disability showing that the, that Liberty, right, the dog was actually an emotional support animal, it would have, I think, changed the, the outcome of, of this case and she would have been awarded the dog. But the court goes on to say, right, but you, you, you really don't need an emotional support animal status, right, for the dog to keep the dog. The court says, the trial court may consider a party's sentimental interest in property, such as the ordinary attachment to pets alongside the other factors of section 61.075, which is the standard statute regarding, you know, the um, division of assets and debts in in a divorce case. But that's really important to note is that, hey, you know, if you can prove that you have a greater sentimental interest in the property, right? If you were the one that primarily cared for the dog, took it to the vet, took it on walks, fed the dog, you have a bunch of pictures with the dog, and and let's say your spouse had no real involvement with the dog during the marriage, you know, it was essentially just a piece of property, right? You know, the, your spouse may have loved the dog, cared for the dog, but if your relationship with the dog was really next level. I mean, people have right Instagrams for their dogs. I mean, if you have that type of evidence and put that before the court, I think that would be compelling evidence and a compelling reason for the judge to, to ultimately award you the dog, right? 
But in this case, in Harvey versus Harvey, the former wife's claim that, you know, she had maybe a, you know, a greater sentimental attachment or interest in the property was just not enough because that argument and that claim was a little bit inconsistent with, with the other facts, such as the dog actually lived with the former husband for an extended period of time before the case got started and that the dogs lived and were bonded to the children who primarily live with the husband. So ultimately, in this case, the husband got the dog, but the outcome could have been different if the facts were different, right? So it, it, it's, it's really going to depend upon what specific individual facts you have in your case as to you know, whether or not you get the dog or, or your um, spouse gets the dog. So there you go. That was a step-by-step analysis of this issue. If you guys like the podcast, and if you've enjoyed the podcast, please give it a five-star review on wherever you're listening. It definitely helps grow awareness of the show. If you have a question, feel free to contact me and you know I'm happy to answer your question right if I can. Uh, my email is scott at kjlawfla.com. Again, scott at kjlawfla.com. And if you're listening to this and you'd like to get started, if you'd like to take the next step in your um, divorce or family law case, definitely reach out to us. I'd be interested in, in having a conversation with you about that. You can give us a call at 561-208-1859 or visit our website at kjlawfla.com and submit a uh, request form, right? And, and we're happy to uh, set up a consultation. And again, I hope you found this episode um, helpful and I definitely look forward to the next one. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Florida Divorce Podcast. To learn the 10 secrets behind every successful divorce, visit floridadivorcepodcast.com. If you'd like Scott's help in your divorce case, go to kjlawfla.com. Thank you.